some people are hard to get along with. Is it just me? Uh, most of us that, that know and love Jesus know that we should love everyone. But sometimes we can love someone, but it's not easy to like them. Let me give you some examples, and I'm perhaps going to deliberately stir the pot and then point to God. I will name just a number of incidents. I was uh, in England a few weeks ago, and a number of European countries are putting some legislation in place that's causing some debate. For example, you will not be able to go into a coffee shop in Paris unless you've got a vaccination card. Boom, debate. Over the next few days, there are school committees meeting. There's a lady in my street, the road we've moved into, who's on one of these committees, who has a strong conviction in a particular direction and consequently has been receiving hate mail because of her conviction. Let's bring it up to date within the last year. I know somebody who I like who is a strong supporter of Donald Trump, and he said to me, Donald Trump could invent the cure for cancer and some people would still hate him. I know someone else who's a strong supporter of Joe Biden and this person also said to me, Joe Biden could create the cure for cancer and some people would still hate him. I didn't tell them that I'd heard the exact same sentence but at the other end of the extreme. It's easy to fall out and argue and the internet and social media has just made it even more evident than it's ever been. And sadly, the disagreements and the lack of unity and the friction and the dissension has not been absent from the church. And last week, I read a familiar passage and we skimmed over a few elements and there were a number of different parts of it. There's the end of that passage that I want to look at. I believe in God's goodness, he wants to show us a better way, a truer way, which isn't about making one person right and another person wrong. I introduced the passage last week. It's the story that Jesus told of the parable of two sons. The prodigal son does this and the older son does this. It's a well-known parable. Most of us believe we know everything there is to know about it. I introduced it as this. Jesus was telling these stories because he wants to show us what God is like. I want to look at it further today and say, Jesus is showing us this story, and it's the end of the passage we're going to really focus into because Jesus is showing us what God values. And what God values is important. I don't want us to be a community of people following Jesus that do not value the same things that God values. And as I cite numerous easy evidences why there's friction and disagreement, I want us to say there's a problem. We all know it. We all see it. Many of us are participated in it. Let's own our stuff. But what does God say? What does God value? What is Jesus showing us? So the aim is that we would see this and learn this and live better because of it. Before I get into that, I'm going to introduce Carol. Carol is going to come and share something. A few weeks ago, Carol said something to me, and I thought, oh, that's good. And I remembered it, and I thought we should make space for that. So why don't we welcome Carol? She comes. 
I thought I was speaking at the end, so that's a surprise. <laughs> Good morning. So God has been speaking to my heart these days about the great divide that has come between friendships and families. And the disrespect for people who think differently both saddens and it frightens me. Whether we voted, voted for President Trump or President Biden, we chose to get the vaccine or not. Choose to get, wear a mask or not should be our right in this country as a citizen to decide and be respected for those choices. But unfortunately, as witnessed many times, this has not been the case. And so in my prayer time over the last several months, I'm like, Lord, what is up with this? Where is this coming from? What is the root? And the word that he shared with me was fear. For some, it's the fear of a leader that people don't respect. For others, it's the fear that our election process may be broken. For some, have fear of the vaccine, while others have fear of the virus. Many fear losing loved ones either to the virus or to the vaccine. And finally, some have a fear of causing illness to loved ones or people in general. I have this on my living room wall, friends, and it says, love builds bridges where there are none. Bridges connect. And God reminded me that his number one rule is to love him and love others without exception. And I asked him, well, how can I be a bridge and connect people with love to those who don't think, act, or behave as I do, or vote as I do, or choose to handle COVID as I do? And I don't have an answer. But John 4, 18 reminds me that perfect love casts out fear. And I asked again, how do I show love, Lord? He gave me an experience a few weeks ago. I was up in New Hampshire visiting a few friends, and we couldn't be more politically opposed and we couldn't be more opposite in our thoughts about the virus either. But we listened to each other, and we agreed to disagree, and we agreed that we don't want to lose our right to voice our opinion. And we agreed that we want to maintain our friendship because we love each other genuinely. And one of the commonalities that I noticed is that we don't like the division that's happening, so we act in love. I continue to ask God how to bridge the gap and give me more opportunities to show love who do not think as I do. Please join me. Some of you are thinking all sorts of reactions. I understand. I'll tell you some stories. I have a relative and They've had a business forever in construction. And there were two brothers, and they worked together, grew up together, went to the same church together, ran a business together. There was a business deal that went wrong. There was accusations in this direction, accusations in this direction. The relationship split. The business went in two different directions, became two businesses, two families, no longer eat together, no longer have families, holiday, Christmas, celebrations together, they went in two different directions. These stories aren't shocking. Many of us could, could come up with a similar example of someone you know. This is why it's important to us. They were also families that were both in church. Neither of them are in church. To assume that this kind of conflict exists just outside of the church and not in the church would be very, very silly. Sadly, the conflicts of recent time has cost the church. 
And I don't think God's okay with that. I think he mourns for that. When he sees the pain, the division, and the separation, he's not okay with that. And in the story that is familiar, Jesus is showing us what the Father values. And I want us to be not just educated and informed by that, but changed by that. And I'll own this myself. I can easily fall out with this person, take offense with this person, argue over this Facebook post. And I know this so much so for anyone that's seen my office, there is a picture of some words on a screen with a ripple water effect on top. And it exists as a prompt to remind me of this psalm I pray, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. The reason it's such a visible visible prompt in my office window is because I need it too. So I want us to be aligned. We know there's a problem. We see it in the world. We see it in media. We see it in social media. We see it in the church. Big time we see it in the church. Sadly, the church has a terrible reputation for division. For those outside the church, it's one of the things that the church is known for the most. This is not the heart of the Father. And that's where we're going to go today. So if you've got your Bibles, we are once again looking at Luke 15. We're going to read the whole story. For those of you that were here last week and think it's a Groundhog Day deja vu experience, we're going in a very different direction. And we're going to camp down in the second to the third part in the context of what does God want in the family? The church was never meant to be an institution or an organization or a business. It was always the people of God. It was a family. And this is a story where we end with a picture of family. And that's where we're going to go. I'll read the whole story and then we'll spend a bit more time towards the end. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his, feed, his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Start listening to some of the family words that appear up now. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to the father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead 
and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. He answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you never disobeyed your, and, and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. You may have noticed the subtle or not so subtle emphasis to the family language in the passage. Jesus is telling this story and in the story he's representing God as the father and the sons are us. The people that sit here, the people that sit here, the people that vote this way, the people that vote this way, and so on, and all the other things that cause us to make different decisions and walk in different directions. What does the father value? The son that messed up said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me just like a slave, like a hired person. I'll just work the fields. The father says, no, that's not what I have for you. Even though you've messed up, I still see you as a son. That's a good deal for the son. The father's heart is towards him. I spent time on this last week saying he saw him when he was a long way off. But look at the relationship that follows between the older brother, the father, and the other son. He says, I'm no longer be worthy to be called your son. He says, my son. He instantly labels him not as he was based on his behavior, but who he is based on the love of the father. That's a great statement. There's the ring. There's the food. And then there's this wonderful statement that the father says, this son of mine was dead. He was lost. Do you hear the loving ownership, the embrace of the father towards the son that messed up? And then we go on. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He was working. He was doing what he needed to do. We don't know an enormous amount about this parable. It's almost certainly a made-up story that Jesus was using to illustrate a point. In the picture that Jesus has created, the family probably has some money. There, are, there is land, there is ownership, there are hired servants. There's probably a picture of that. So this son who's in the field probably has some superiority in the family business and estate. But yet he doesn't carry himself like that. He carries himself like the slave or the servant who doesn't feel good enough and says, I've never had this, this or this. He doesn't see himself as he is. Moving on, music, dancing, celebration. The servant is asked the question, what's going on? 
the older brother is saying, what is going on? This other person thinks differently to me, has made different decisions, has messed up in ways I've not messed up. It would be very silly to assume that the older brother who's making these accusations has not sinned himself at some point. He almost certainly has, as we all have. But he takes this arrogant stance and makes the question, what's going on? This isn't right. This finger pointing begins where we know some of the story and we load it with accusation to add more weight to our already determined viewpoint and worldview. Here's where the friction really starts to kick off. The older brother became angry and says, I'm not going in. In this culture, when there was a celebration, a special occasion, there was always a meal. Whenever there were covenants or agreements or bonds or marriages or festivals or religious moments in their calendar, it always happened around a meal. And here is one of those meals, and it's a special meal. It's the fattened calf. We've been waiting for this moment. It's a feast. It's a banquet. For those of you that have read other New Testament passages before, you'll know that Jesus frequently tells a story about a banquet in heaven. And God is the one who lays the table, and everyone gets an invite. But the older brother looks at the invite and says, I'm not coming in because that person over there thinks differently to me. They've sinned differently to me. They've made mistakes that I've not made. He doesn't want to come to the table, even though the father has laid the table. He takes the view that he's no better than a slave. I've worked this, 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 and this. He doesn't see himself as who he is. He doesn't see himself as a son who's loved by the father. He's just annoyed. He's been working. The accusation continues. When this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. That specific detail and criticism does not appear in the beginning of the story. In the beginning of the story, Jesus said he went off with wild living. He may well have done this. But what often happens with accusation is somebody sees something that they don't like, so they create more detail around that, which often is false, inaccurate, or not evidenced, to add more weight to their opinion and criticism. This is not just an ancient text. This is a modern story. You could find it on Facebook today if you looked for it. We see something we don't like, we add five more points around it. They did this, which means they must be this. They voted this way, which means they have to think like this. These accusations do not help, and they're often unfounded. Look at the response of the father. My son. To the son who sees himself as a slave and as a servant who's just complaining, who doesn't want to come to the table, the father sees him in the same way he sees the other one. My son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. There's no hint that if he made the same request to take a large chunk of the property that he would have been denied it. Everything I have is yours. It was never about what we have. It was always about the relationship with the father. If you want the houses and the money, sure, that's fine. You can waste it too. What's important is the relationship with the father. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours 
the older son says, this son of yours, he's disowning him. And the father says, no, 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 no. You are two brothers of the same family. You are two brothers of the same family. And that needs to be celebrated. It would be easy to separate, have a banquet over here and a banquet over there, and the father will go one weekend to this son and one weekend to this son. But that's not the heart of the father. And I'm sad that over the last year I've seen the vision. I've seen and heard stories of people that have left churches because of a political tilt in one way or not enough of a political tilt in the other way. Or a persuasion that we should do this in terms of restrictions or that we should do this in terms of restrictions. There have been far too many examples and ideas as to why we can split and separate and go in different directions. And when I read this story and know that what the why, why is Jesus telling this story? It's because he wants to show us what the Father values. I don't want to be one of the sons that says, I'm not coming in. I'm glad that there's a table there and some people are having a nice meal. But I'm standing on the outside with my arms folded. I don't want us to be like that. So to put it in the room, you may have had some conflict with people in church over the last year or two. It's not hard to do that. It's actually quite easy to do that. I want to be quite specific and give some instruction here. Because I can't read this story without coming to the conclusion that the heart of the father is that the two sons are one of the same family. If you've had some conflict, or if you're having some conflict, and sometimes the other person, by the way, doesn't know you have conflict with them, which is always an interesting way to begin the conversation. I want to encourage you to speak to them, and I want to encourage you to connect. And probably don't do that on social media. Do that face-to-face. And if you can't, phone them. I want to give you some seven ideas to help you in this, because conflict isn't easy. First one, own your part. We all have a part to play. Often we see the other person did this, this, and this, and we don't own our part. We've all messed up. We've all missed it. Be okay with that. That's the first positive step. Own your part. Second one, go direct. Don't speak about them in their absence. Go direct. If someone's watching this and they're annoyed at someone, it may be me. Go direct. Come and tell me. Don't speak about someone when they're not there. Third one, listen. Don't just wait to talk. That's really important. Number four, believe the best in the other person. I'm not asking you to believe or think like they think. But whatever you've done, whether you've been rude and arrogant in the field or crazy and lived wildly over here, please see each other as sons and daughters of the same father. So believe the best in the other person. Separate behavior from son and daughter of God. Fifth one, explain, don't blame, and be real. Sometimes vague comments, sometimes, nearly always vague comments don't help. Be specific. When you said this, I heard this. When this happened, I 
interpreted it as this. Now, hear the language. I felt this. I interpreted this. I may have misinterpreted it. Don't just make the assumption that when they said that, they must have meant this. They may not have. Often we are accidental with our language, and the other person goes away catching something that we did not throw. Be specific. Last two points. Commit to a better plan and future. As we've looked at this passage the last two weeks, I can't get away from the fact that Jesus is telling us who the Father is and how he wants us to be in that family. Commit to being part of a better plan, which looks and sounds like the Father wants in the family. And then lastly, pray and stay. Don't just pray that they would change to be like you. Pray for them and pray the best for them. And stay. Now, I say stay, not just on the subject of church attendance, but in relationship, in business, in family, in community, and in church. The easiest response is to separate. It's easy for the older son to stand outside when there's a banquet and a feast going on and say, I'm not coming in. It's easy to separate. There are somewhere in the region of 45,000 Christian denominations at the moment in the world. I'm not going to say they all began for the wrong reasons. Many of them began for great reasons because they knew that they needed a specific shape of Christian ministry to reach a cultural demographic. That's a great reason to plant new initiatives, new groupings of churches. But many of these denominations and many churches have multiplied not because they were growing and developing, but because of conflict and division and separation. That is not the heart of the Father. He wants both sons around the same table having a feast. Something that I've learned... And I'm still learning because I'm saying this to you and I'm hearing it to me. Is we are not in control of the other person's behavior. But we are entirely control of our own. Now often, if they would only do this, then this. We can't do that bit. But often, if they did this, this, and this, well, then we would have this. I've said this, I've done this, I've thought this. We are not in control of the other person's behavior, their conduct, their actions, their decisions. We are entirely in control of our own. So let me tell you a story about, and I'm going to tell you part of the story because I want to honor aspects of privacy, but I feel I can tell you part of the story without crossing into a danger zone. I'm going to tell you a story about us not buying a new facility. We, for some time, have been looking, longing, and praying for a new space. We're grateful for this space, uh, but we've been on this journey for some time. For some people, it's a very long journey. Recently, there was a facility that we liked uh, there was a small team of people, it's a mixed group, 
and uh, we liked it, and we saw it about six months ago, and we revisited it because other properties that we looked at weren't as such stacking up as this one, and we thought, well, maybe we should look again. So we went and we had a look at this property, and we quite liked it. We pursued any conversations privately. If you speak too publicly about this kind of thing, you risk jeopardizing the process and any negotiations. So we wanted to pray publicly, but plan privately for the sake of not jeopardizing any decision-making. We moved in the direction of, I think we should probably do something about this. And then we learned that there was another party that was also interested in the exact same facility that we were. And the other party is a church. And it's like, oh. And it was one of those all moments. You know when you, you, know when you have an orange and you think it's going to taste like this and you put it in, it tastes slightly different. Like, oh, I didn't expect that. Many of us had that moment. We're like, oh, what do we do? We prayed, we discussed, we disagreed, we listened, we learned, I hope. Did we do it perfectly? Probably not. But hey, that's what two brothers sat around the same table sometimes looks like. But we felt the test of how do we do this well? What is the will of the Father in these two brothers. There were numerous discussions. And to cut a long story short, which I'm not going to go into all those details, the other church was successful in their bid and we were not. And we could have entered a bidding war. We could have responded stronger. It possibly could be stated that we were in a stronger position, and therefore, if we had wanted to do that, we could have probably won. Hear the language, won, lose, battle, war. Some of these words were key to, wait a minute, what do we do in this? How do we respond in this? Um, we didn't. I called that church and I wished them every blessing and prayed for them and said, let us know if we can help. And uh, we had a board meeting where we discussed a few weeks later and it was suggested that should their purchase be successful, maybe we'll send them a financial gift to aid in their legal fees for the purchase. Some of us have different responses in what do we do in that kind of situation. So the big question is, why did we do that? Why would you do that? And it's because of stories like this that Jesus told where he shows us what the Father values. We are two sons with the same Father. Two sons, same Father. What's happening? I want to leave this with you personally and for us corporately that we will always have decisions to make about how we conduct ourselves, how we speak about the other person in their absence, how we speak about the church down the road that wants to buy the same site that we want to buy. We 
are not in control of the other person. We are entirely in control of our own words, actions, deeds. And I can't read this any other way than come away seeing that the Father desires for sons that sometimes see things differently to be sat round the same table. So I want to encourage you and us to aspire to greater things. I want to encourage us to believe and to imagine a church that is known for its unity and generosity. To be part of a church that is known for going beyond itself and doing things that others would not expect. For us to be Christians that live in streets where we're not known because we tell people how bad they are because their sins are different to ours. I was rude in the field where he was crazy over here because we've all sinned. But imagine being known for being gracious and loving because ultimately we're all sons of the same father or daughters of the same father. This is not just the story that Jesus told in a sequence of stories. This is a blueprint for how to live well. And it's been needed more in recent times than ever before. The unity conversation has come up so often because it's been so needed. So may I encourage, in fact, may I go further. May I instruct you to remind you that you and me are sons and daughters of the same Father. And may we be known for that. And may that blueprint go beyond ourselves. And may we stay and not run when there's conflict. And may we listen when we don't agree. And may we see the other person as sons of the same Father. Let's pray. Why don't we stand? Lord, it's easier to tell stories after they happen than it is to live through them in the moment. So Lord, I pray for us in the moments when we're tested that we would recognize that we are sons and daughters of the same Father. And may we be known for that. Lord, thank you that none of us deserved to be called your son or your daughter, but all of us were offered it. We've got different sins in faraway lands or in local fields, but um, you, you call the both your son. Lord, that includes me and that includes us. Lord, thank you for laying the table and saying this isn't just a message to tell you off, but this is a message that if we get this right, it leads to a feast and to a banquet and to a celebration. This is not bad news, you're in trouble. This is good news, let's have a party. Lord, may this church be known as a church where the unity and the love is so strong that it's like we're at a party, not, not a town hall debate. Lord, thank you for the diversity of thought in this room. 
Thank you that we aren't all the same, that you didn't have a cookie-cutter model that everyone will look, sound, sing, and see things exactly the same. Lord, we recognize that the body works best when a variety of parts are joined together. Lord, I pray for our togetherness. Lord, I pray that we would not be weakened because of this, but we would be strengthened because we know that there's one father and many sons and daughters. Lord, we take our place at that table and we thank you that Jesus, you made all of this possible.